Hi everyone and welcome to The Interesting, a podcast on how to craft knowledge, skill and expertise. I'm your host, Vernel Noel, research scientist, writer and architect. Tune in, it's pretty interesting. Dr. Niaja Farve is a researcher, software developer, and entrepreneur. A graduate from Morgan State University and MIT, Niaja pursued her studies in electrical engineering and computer science. Her PhD work at MIT focused on improving health and well-being with wearable technologies. In addition to being a mom, a software developer at a startup in Durham, North Carolina, and the CEO of her nonprofit iTrack, she is passionate about knowledge, giving back to the community, and finding creative solutions to challenging real world problems. As CEO and creator of iTrack, she seeks to create outreach opportunities that steer students into science, technology, engineering, math and other associated fields of study. Niaja is someone I find interesting. Niaja, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Who is Dr. Niaja Farve? So I think I would primarily describe myself right now, first as a mother, just because that's the most recent transition I've gone through. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I'm, like you say, the creator entrepreneur, life learner, really love to learn. And I think the things that have really driven my decisions and my path in life is the need to really be challenged and to really keep learning new things, um, have things fresh happening in my life. Growing up, what was your family's ethos around work and around your learning? So my family growing up was mostly my mom. It was just me and her for most of what I can remember growing up. And so I definitely saw her work very hard to make sure that she provided as much as she could and more than what she had. And there was definitely an expectation of going to college because I was going to be the first in my immediate family to go to college. So there was definitely a bar of you have to go to college. There is no option or choice behind that. Right. But I don't. there was never any expectations besides that. Definitely in school, I was expected to get good grades. I remember getting my first C and like crying in the back of the back of the classroom because Aww. I just knew my mother was going to kill me. There was, I don't know how I was going to go home with the C. And there was many times where I had A's and B's and thought I was doing great and that was not enough. There was definitely always a push to be academically very strong. And that wasn't driven by me until I got to college. I felt I, there was definitely like a switch that happened. All through my life, I remember my mom being the motivator to to get the good grades. And then once I got into college, she was just like hands off. All of a sudden I became very interested in in maintaining that academic strength. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what exactly happened during that switch, but I remember at some point me being the one that was like really determined to get good grades and my mom could probably like care less. (laughs) I was just like, oh, that's nice. Good job. (laughs) What are your thoughts on how she was driving you and how or why you eventually drove yourself? I know she's told me several times that she was very kind of aware of the child I was, and she made certain decisions based on that. So 
she never thought that like that is the approach you should take with all children. She mm-hmm. kind of just knew that would would work for me, and it did. I think once you go off to college, you're. I think that transition happened of like you're an adult now. You need to be responsible for your own future and decisions. And I think she kind of knew what type of person I was. I'm very competitive anyway, so I think she knew I wasn't gonna go to college and kind of like fail out. Right. I'm usually the type of person where I need to be in the top, but I don't need to be number one. Right. I think she kind of understood that as well, and so I was like, okay, well, I've done my job. Now it's handing over the reins to you. That would be my guess. Tell us, what do you do? Currently, I work as a software developer at a startup. Outside of that, I work on my nonprofit iTrack, which has been since like the fifth year we've been in operation. Those are the two biggest hats that I wear outside of families, developer and then CEO. What does a software developer do? Software developer writes code. It can change based on what you're writing the code for, but you basically develop new code for a company or use your skills to even fix existing code bases. How did you get into electrical engineering and computer science? I chose electrical because it was broad. I initially wanted to be an audio engineer and like work in a studio, and, and I thought about what's going to apply to trade schools and do that kind of stuff and my mom was like ah maybe we should make it a little broad and do like electrical then you can always make it more specific down the line and so that sounded like a fair statement to me I didn't know what electrical engineering was but I was like oh audio and electrical somewhat like in the same wheelhouse so Mm -hmm. sure and then I think I went to one of those week-long camps or something and we did a little bit of tinkering with programming and I really enjoyed it and I was really proud of myself But for some reason, it didn't click to actually try to pursue that. Mm -hmm. I ended up doing my master's more heavily on the electrical engineering side. And then my PhD was more in the computer science side, which is like an easy transition to make at a school like MIT. Tell us about iTrack. iTrack came out of me transitioning from the environment at Morgan, that small school environment, to that big ecosystem of MIT. And one of the things I learned very quickly after coming to MIT and even participating in some of the recruitment programs that they have is that I lucked out a lot of times with doing the thing I needed to do to stand out to a school like MIT. One of those, like being research, is the biggest qualifier for grad school. I had no idea that that was the case. I had no idea I was going to be coming to MIT and my number one job would be research. Like, I thought I was going for my master's. I would take a few classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would make me do some research, but that wasn't my priority. Mm-hmm. So I came to the visit weekend and got, like, the shock of my life where they were like, oh, no, research <laughs> is your number one thing. You need to have an advisor picked out before you even start. It was just so much things that I did not anticipate or know that was going to be expected of me. Mm-hmm. And then also, too, just seeing how students reacted outside the classroom. So there's there's a lot of tinkering and excitement of exploring the new knowledge that they created where I didn't see that as much at, as much at Morgan, not because students weren't excited, but there wasn't as many resources for that to happen. There wasn't just money for you to start your own club and just, like there's no solar car club where you can just go and try to build a solar car or something like that that would make students excited about 
applying in the classroom to real world experiences. Mm-hmm. Also too, when I graduated Morgan, that was top of my class, but there was also a lot of other students at the top of the class. And I was one of the few that went on to grad school, not because they didn't get in, but because they didn't know that was even an option really. Right. Usually it's like, okay, you go work and you need to start making money because a lot of us come from backgrounds where we didn't really have money. And so, yeah. okay, I went into this field knowing I could make a good income for me and my family. I need to go do that. Mm-hmm. And there's no real talk about what is grad school, how do you get in, why you should go, any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there was a definitely something missing and there was a lost opportunity, especially when you hear bigger schools talk about the lack of diversity and them having trouble recruiting students. Well, you're not at the right place. You're not recruiting at the right areas. You're recruiting at schools that already have a diversity issue. So, of course, there's going to be an issue. But if you go to a school that is majority minority, you don't have that issue. And there's a lot of really great students that would love the opportunity. Then you go down the path of like, okay, yeah, they're good students, but they don't have what we're looking for as far as like research skills. Okay, well then let's give them research skills. And so what we basically try to do is help these students get the skills that yes, check the boxes, but also do it in a more creative way that they're empowered to come up with their own projects and be entrepreneurs and like not just think about grad school, but how can I take my ideas and go further with it? I don't just have to go work for the same 10 companies everybody else goes work for. What if I start my own company? Pushing them to ask those questions Mm -hmm. and do it in a way that also builds up their resume so that if they did apply to Georgia Tech or Cornell or something like that, it's not completely out of the box. It's not like the school is making a stretch to try to find the skills. They can see it directly in their experiences. Having gone through Morgan and an HBCU, what do you think that experience brought to your approach to MIT and your approach to ITREC? I guess I think the biggest thing would be the whole mentality of reaching back and helping others. There were so many times where programs were hosted for you, but they were always asked you to turn around and volunteer to make sure the program continues so that someone else gets that experience. Mm-hmm. So there was always this notion of helping each other out and everyone is working towards the same goal. There's definitely times where I don't know somebody's name, but if I see them a few times, I feel comfortable going up to them and asking them a question about, you know, what was something that's happening in class mm-hmm. where that was not the case at MIT, where it felt like almost invisible or like if you did go ask them, they kind of gave you this look like, why are you talking to me type of thing? So I definitely got, definitely had that feeling from Morgan and I think that's what's carried over into iTrack. It's like there should be a way for us to help more students get to this point. Mm-hmm. Also, too, to just enlighten these schools that there is, you know, students that exist in these pools that you aren't tapping into. Right. And so if you're not going to do it, we will do it for you, but at least give them a, a chance, give them a look, give them a consideration because they are, they have the skills that you want and they can succeed in this environment. But I think those are probably, that's the biggest thing I learned from Morgan is, you know, knowing how to, to reach back and help others out. And that kind of sense of community mm-hmm. that is very much present, or at least I felt um, inside of the engineering department there. What do you enjoy most about what you do? I think I, what I enjoy most is helping people and helping them, help, seeing them succeed in whatever that is. So even if it's fixing someone's bug in their code or helping a student open their eyes into other possibilities. I love seeing how like a little, like something that's so simple for you to do can make a huge impact in someone else's life. And I wish more people would kind of like take the time to, to think about those things and do those things.
Why do you do what you do? Does this need to be done? What's at stake? I think it definitely needs to be done, especially in this context of ITRAC. When you think about what grad school is, it's inherently, you're supposed to be creating new knowledge. You're supposed to be finding answers to questions, questions that may not have been asked or questions that have been asked and don't have an answer. And so when you think about the issue of not having diversity in that group of people that are supposed to be creating new knowledge, you have an issue of the new knowledge that's being created is not very diverse either. Right. Questions are not being asked that need to be asked. And so I feel like that's a huge problem that people overlook. It's like, oh, we need diversity and we think having diversity is a good thing and we know it helps with stuff. But in the sense of creating new knowledge, it's a huge issue. If you don't have diverse people doing that, what kind of knowledge are you creating? And like, what kind of things are you not looking at or you haven't even begun to discover because you don't have that background or that mindset to even think there? So I think it's it's definitely need, needs to be done. As far as just general work like software development, I think also in the same sense, like having more diverse people in those places, in those startups. Those startups are you know moving quickly and they're changing a lot of things and they're impacting a lot of things. And having more diverse people in those places and those decision-making roles is also very critical as far as where we take things and where things go. I mean, you can see just even the bad decisions that big companies make that seem like, what the hell were you thinking? Right. So I think that for both, for both cases, it's very important. Can you share with us an experience that was challenging or that seemed undoable, where you came up against a fear or a fear of failure? Probably the, the one that comes to mind, as soon as you said failure, or <laughs> the one that came to mind the most was the first time I failed a class at MIT in grad school. Mm -hmm. And I think because leading up to grad school, everyone talks about like getting a C in grad school is like, is failing. Like you don't get C's in grad school, which I didn't know. Again, something I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But also too, when I got there, everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, but it's easy to get A's and B's. Like it's, that just, you don't really have to work that hard and you get A's and B's. And I was like busting my butt. Like I felt like, and I was not even having, like it was barely surviving kind of thing. And so there was one class where the teacher basically told me, like, you're probably going to fail this class, and the drop date is in two days. Hint, hint, you should probably drop this class. And for whatever reason, I felt like, no, I'm, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to, you know, do it. And I was like, the stigma of failing was, oh, my God, I can't, you know, fail. I'm just so afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. And it was right after, two. I think it was my second semester. Like, the first semester at MIT, I thought I knew how to study, and I didn't. Like, I was being really lazy, and I just... I thought I knew what I was doing. I was, I think I was off the high of being like the big fish at the little pond too. And I was just like, oh yeah, I could pull this out. Like I can do this. And then reality hit very quick that you don't know where you are right now. Like these kids are like super smart. And so that was like the first semester I like, like, okay, I need to really try to study. And it still wasn't happening. So I, I stuck, in, stuck through the class and I failed. And I was just like, so taken aback by that. Oh my God, my life is over. And then I, I think I took quals and I failed one of the tests there too. And I just like was like trying to rethink my life. Like just everything is just falling apart. Like right. I don't know what's going on. And I, just, yeah, I was like really shook by the fact that like, okay, I'm like not, I'm putting an effort in it. It's, it's not enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I think what turned it around was one, I, I think I went for like a run or something. Where MIT is, is, is beautifully situated where in the wintertime, it's hell, but in the summertime, it's springtime, it's just really beautiful, and you're like, wow, this place is amazing, and I think I took a step, a step back to, like, think about 
how fortunate I was to even be there at a place like that. And I could work hard. I wasn't working hard enough. I, like I could do more telling myself I was working hard and I really wasn't. Like I was watching a lot of TV. Gotcha. I was being pretty lazy mm-hmm. and I could have, I could have put in more effort. Like you can always do more. And it's like, there was things I wasn't thinking of. I wasn't trying. I was doing the things that worked before and that wasn't going to work in the situation. I needed to adapt to where I was and what the situation was really just checking myself. Are you really doing the best that you could possibly do? And if that's not enough, or are you just kind of thinking that you're working hard and feeling like, okay, I studied for an hour. That should be enough. And going about my day and not really thinking like, do you actually understand the material? Are you going to office hours and just saying I'm going to office hours? Or are you actually asking questions and ask, making sure that you're getting what you're confusing to you understood? Mm-hmm. And like I wasn't doing those things. I was supposedly checking the boxes and not really doing the things that really meant to check those boxes. What were some of the additional things you started doing? I feel like a lot of times you read something and you don't understand, but you kind of just keep reading and you keep going. Mm-hmm. Instead of stopping and making myself really look up that word or whatever that was and making sure I understood that before I kept going to the next thing. And I think I had a a rhythm of I could spend an X amount of time and I would understand the material where now I needed to put in more time to really understand the material. I think before classes were taught in the way that they would teach you the material in the class, where a lot of times the MIT is like they're going over the stuff they're expecting you to learn outside the classroom. And so they're going to move fast. And they're not there, a lot of times it's not going to be teaching you the material in the class. It's up to you to learn it outside the classroom. Right. And I didn't really understand that. And so anytime I was getting uncomfortable, I don't understand this material or something, I kind of just like, oh, I'll just keep going and it'll, it'll click eventually. Mm-hmm. Instead of just digging into that a little bit more and making sure I understood it right then and there. Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to brush over it. And then also too, just being a bit too embarrassed to like ask questions, you know, like being that person that's like afraid to like ask the stupid question. Yeah. And it's like, okay, no, I need to ask the stupid question. And now I'm, I'm less afraid to ask the stupid question. I'm constantly asking questions. Like I have a reputation at work. Like, oh, y'all just gonna ask the question. She's gonna ask. <laughs> she's gonna stand up and ask the question. Like, yep, I have a question. I need to ask it. Like, I don't understand what, why, why this, what this kind of thing. But I'm also known for asking the good questions because I think it's just no one else wants to ask those questions. They're too embarrassed to stand up and ask the questions. I'm going to ask the question now. So doing that kind of stuff. Also, too, I think I I learned that this is not the end of the world. This is like a short blip in your life. And so it's just trying to frame things appropriately. Okay, yes, you failed this class. What does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? I talked to other people and it's like, oh, yeah, I failed my calls, too. And then I failed that one. And then I failed that one. And then they had to add something (laughs) so I could just hopefully pass. It's like, oh, well, this is not that bad. It's like you just assume everyone else is killing it and you're the one that's only struggling and so just trying to reframe things you really just get the overall picture like what really does this mean also like helped a lot Niaja came to understand that the major chunk of her learning was expected to happen outside the classroom not inside but outside there's a fear of asking questions a fear of being embarrassed a fear of being seen as stupid for asking questions can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? So I guess one thing too to point out is that asking the stupid question doesn't mean that you're not going to feel stupid asking it. Like mm-hmm. there's sometimes where you are going to feel like, oh, okay, everyone else <laughs> didn't know that but me. I don't want to make it seem like every time you ask that stupid question, everybody's going to be in awe of like, oh yeah, I was wondering that too. But I feel like 90% of the time, somebody else is also thinking the same thing or wanting to know the same thing or really interested in the answer. They may not have that question, but they're also really interested in hearing the answer. Mm-hmm. And so you're just helping to facilitate that conversation. Mm-hmm. 
Two, it helps you stand out amongst the crowd mm-hmm. of, okay, this person is curious. This person is going to like really try to eager, is going to be eager to learn new things. So I feel like one, it helps you stand out. Two, it helps you better understand things and better grasp what's going on around you. And sometimes you're pointing out things that no one's thought of, especially like in a business setting. Asking those questions can really help and drive things around. And then I think people just need to ask more questions in general. Like a lot of times we try to jump toward offering the advice or giving the right answer or like being that person that knows everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times if you just keep asking a person a question, you help guide them to that answer or to an answer you never even had, you never thought of. And so I think asking more questions, it, it, it usually does nothing but good all around. She also highlights to us the importance of constantly asking questions, good questions, after doing some of your own research and investigations. So constantly ask questions. What has been your experience or journey when it comes to crafting knowledge, skills and expertise? I guess once I decide that I want to learn something, I try to find something that I can apply it to. Probably be the biggest thing. I don't know if it would be classified as like setting a goal per se, but just having something to prove to myself that I've learned XYZ thing or even gain that skill. Yeah, like a project or even like some kind of test that I I can give myself or someone can give me to make sure that I'm actually learning. So I'm not just saying I learned something and I have nothing to apply it to. An example would be like, I know I wanted to prove to myself that I could be a good runner. Like I hate running, but I was like, I'm going to prove to myself that I can be a runner. So I decided I was going to run a marathon and like, okay, once I finish a marathon, there's no way I can tell myself, right. you know, I'm not a runner, but that was the, the goal. I still feel like I'm a horrible runner. So it didn't really help, but it was like the thought process. And I think besides that, teaching it was like everyone said, if you teach it, you learn it so much better. So I do a lot of mentoring with developers, people that want to be developers, helping them learn how to code in the world of coding. So I guess, yeah, to, to sum it up, making sure I have something to use the skill I just learned and then trying to teach somebody else that same skill or trying to show someone else how it's done is usually like the two ways I try to make sure that I actually did learn whatever I'm setting out to learn. Niaja is telling us that we should find and create opportunities to apply what we've learned, to prove to ourselves that we have learned, that we should try to teach others what we've learned, as this helps us understand what we've learned at a much deeper level. So mentor someone. In what ways have moments of struggle and or failure helped make you who you are today? always having to kind of really work for things and try to struggle for things. I don't think I've really had many situations where something was easy for me to, to get. I usually have to really work at something to understand or to grasp it or people just assume things come easy to me or like I'm good at multitasking. It's like, no, I really have to work at it. It's a skill that's been developed over time. Mm-hmm. At least you love to quote a setback as a setup for a comeback. When I was really struggling with a class or something like that or got a bad grade, it's like, okay, this is just the fuel for me to like really just kill it the next time. And then lately it's been more of get comfortable being uncomfortable and like really just settling in that feeling of, oh my gosh, this is, this is really uncomfortable. So whenever I feel that trying to sit in that emotion a little bit and figure like digest what that really is from. Mm-hmm. And usually that's a sign that I need to be pushing myself further 
in that whatever area I'm going. And so instead of doing the natural reaction of turning around and going back the other way, like trying to go straight towards that fear mm. a little bit, pushing myself further towards it. And I think that's helped me be a little more resilient. I see. I think one of the biggest things that MIT has is that they have a lot of students that never really failed before. And so when they do fail, they don't know how to handle it. And they just like their whole world crumbles, whether it be like a C on a test or something like that, where like other students that have had a lot of adversity, they're like, okay, I've, you know, dealt with this emotion, with this feeling before, I need to learn from it and keep going. And so I feel like that's always been really helpful for me is, okay, how did, how can I learn from this experience? Like this sucks, but how can I spend this into something for the future? And so even like feeling a class, it's like, okay, obviously I wasn't studying hard enough in this way or that way, so I need to fix whatever I'm doing. Just trying to take those little lessons. Yes, you, you are, it's going to feel bad. It's not, I'm not saying that anytime you feel, you should be like, yes, this is great or something like that. <laughs> like it's always going to suck and it's going to feel bad. Mm. But taking that time to figure out, okay, how can I spin this or learn from it or what have you, I think it's probably been what's helped me the best overall. This is a setback, but how can I keep going and push through this? Niaja tells us that we should see our setbacks as a setup for a comeback. And that if we want to grow, we should get comfortable with being uncomfortable. What has been your biggest discovery about yourself? I think just in general, like I, you never really know yourself. Like you feel like you know yourself more than anyone, mm-hmm. but you don't realize how little things can affect you as much as they do. You feel like, oh, that was you know so small. It doesn't mean anything. And then later down the line, you realize, wow, that one thing really just, you know, I held on to that a lot. Why did I hold on to something for so long? For one example, like my mom always struggled financially for most of what I remember as my childhood. Mm-hmm. And so I've had this really big fear of, around money, like squirreling money away, you know, because I never want to have that feeling of not having, you know, the money I need to pay the bills and stuff like that. That's like a huge fear of mine. I know it comes from witnessing my mother go through that struggle. It's like, oh, you don't realize... She hid it for me very well, but I still knew like what was going on. But it's like you don't realize just those little, I guess, peaks of under the hood of what's going on. You internalize that and have those emotions toward things. I've been just trying to discover those little things that I don't understand about myself and trying to like understand it more and get in touch more with you know where those things come from. Is there a story you want to tell? I think the biggest thing is just reframing how you think about your life in general. I talk to students and they're like so bummed out about not getting into the school they wanted to go to or like getting a rejection letter or even worse, like not even being willing to apply just because they didn't want to be told no. 99% of the people get told no. If you get told no, you're in the, the group of cool people. Like you're like everyone else, the minority of people get told yes. You're just like everyone else if you get told no. Why would you be afraid to be told no in this circumstance? You can't be afraid to even just try. You never know what they're going to say. You never know if they're going to tell you yes, and you just were too afraid to try. Or even like they told you no, and you're assuming that because you missed out on the opportunity, that opportunity you have in front of you is worse than the one that you would have had somewhere else. Like you never know. Like the opportunity you have in front of you might be the best opportunity for you, where that one would have like turned out horrible for you in the long run. And so like even in my circumstance of like going to Morgan, I would not change that for anything. Like I had the best time in my life are like my lifelong friends that I met at Morgan. And I definitely have like really good friends I met at MIT, but way more friends that I consider like lifelong friends I got at Morgan. And I would never have had the opportunity if I went to a Cornell or a Carnegie Mellon. And I could probably say I probably wouldn't have been as happy if I had so many like fun times 
as that I had like at Morgan versus like a Cornell or Carnegie Mellon. So it's like always enjoying where you are in life and not being so concerned about what you missed out on or what's coming down the line and just sitting in where you are at the moment and really enjoying that, I think is really huge. Any advice for others who are interested in what you do? Figuring out exactly what it is you want to do, I think is the biggest thing. I know I struggle with trying to do too many things and having so many different goals at once. And that will kind of help you choose the steps that you need to take to get there. If it is that you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be a business owner, why? And that will kind of help shape what those steps are that you need to take to get to that actual goal. When you kind of have these very broad goals, one, you can't figure out when you've made it, mm-hmm. or two, the goal of always changing and moving, and it's impossible to hit like that moving target. Really deciding what it is that will help the steps you take, and I think even then, it'll help you rebound quicker if you do falter a little bit. You might be like, okay, I have to take a step back, but I know where I'm going, and I can still figure out how to get there, but this is just a different path to getting there in the end. What do you hope your impact on this world would be? I hope that I inspire people to to push themselves further than where they're currently at, whether that being asking themselves why not or why am I not thinking of this, but kind of dreaming bigger than where they currently are and realizing that the world is a little bit bigger than their, the bubble that they're currently at and helping them aspire to get outside of that bubble to something even bigger and better. When you write your book, what will it be about? <laughs> I think it will be about being more action-driven. I feel like a lot of people nowadays, they talk a lot about what they want to do and what their dreams are and what their goals are, but they spend so little time actually working towards those things. So I think it would be about, one, figuring out what you really want, and then two, doing it and actually going after those things versus just sitting around and thinking about them or dreaming about them or you know looking things up about them, but not actually taking the first step to go and achieve it. I wanted to mention how extremely supportive you guys were to me. In particular, I never forget do you remember my final defense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I remember most about that day was, one, how packed the room was. Mm-hmm. I thought that was amazing how many people were there for your defense. Mm-hmm. And then, two, I felt it was so bold of you of the, the thesis topic that you chose. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many people are afraid to, like, would have been afraid to tackle a topic like that because mm-hmm. of, oh, they, people are going to downplay mm-hmm what this is about or like feel like you know carnival and like costumes are not important or you know like just demean what this is and you were bold enough to not only go after it but make it your whole master's topic and you know make it something that people had to pay attention to and think about and contemplate I was just like wow that's awesome and she like went for it type of thing again another thing of having diversity in the room because no one else was going to do that project you were the only one that was going to do that project because of who you are and your background and you were the only one that we're going to see that it needed more attention than what it got but yeah those are the two things that stuck out to me during that day nice yeah you guys were amazing three important things i learned from my chat with niaja today were one that we should be action oriented talk less do more. Two, we should ask ourselves, am I really doing the best that I can possibly do? And three, never forget 
to always reach back and help others. Niaja, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, your knowledge and your experience with us today. And to everyone out there, keep crafting knowledge, skill and expertise. Thank you for listening.